Hello, and welcome to the Meditation Conversation, the podcast to support your spiritual revolution. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Martin Tice. Hello, hi, and thank you. So Martin is a spiritual coach and teacher who focuses on mental and emotional well-being through the art of shamanic journeys. The mission of his practice, Light Trails, is to assist others on their journey from suffering to inner peace and joy. Martin lives in Germany, Norway, and Hawaii, and is in the process of building a decentralized network of nonprofit organizations that aim at building sanctuaries for people to find healing and regeneration. I'm excited for you to hear this episode with Martin. He has such a gentle and unassuming presence, but with deep wisdom and a powerful, contagious calm. You're going to get a lot of great insights about shamanic journeying, and we also talk a lot about animals and why humans are so drawn to them and what they're here to teach us. But before we get to that, I quickly want to invite you to check out all the partners of the Meditation Conversation podcast, which you can get to through themeditationconversation.com. And also check out karagoodwin.com for more resources specific to meditation. You can get to the Meditation Immersion online course to get deeply into your own meditation practice, as well as the Healing Hearth online community where we meditate together regularly. There's a large meditation library to help your meditation practice and other ways to help your spiritual growth. Learn more at karagoodwin.com. And now enjoy this episode. So welcome, Martin. It's such a joy to connect with you. Yes, it's so nice to be here. I mean, we've been waiting, waiting in quotations for this day quite a while. So it's nice that it's arrived and that we're here. Yes, it has been on the books for a while. So thank you for your patience. I'd love to just start by learning a little bit more about you and how you came into shamanism. A coincidence, like uh, how I came into it was really just a person, a friend of mine who recommended after having done a workshop and I was really interested in what he said and what he experienced. And so I went, I went down that rabbit hole because someone else had told me about it. So that was my touch point with that. And so my personal story is really just the one that I described in the mission of Light Trails is the journey from suffering to inner peace and joy, where I was really struggling with life in general. I didn't know what my purpose was. Like, we don't even have to talk about purpose. I didn't know what I'm doing here, basically. No, so why? And about how old were you at that time, if I can ask? I would say probably from my later teenage years, like adolescence, into my mid 20s. So I was really struggling also having to deal with almost like a a depression that was coming and going. So more, yeah, something that was always there, sometimes more present, sometimes less so, but it was always like even on the back burner. So that was also really making it hard and coming from this place of really being not good enough. I know very, very many people can relate to this because this seems to be some of the sentences that accompany so many people that we feel we're insufficient. We don't, we are not 
good enough in so many ways. So that is where I was starting out from. And so after realizing and finding these ways through these shamanic journeys, I felt because I see so much suffering in the world and not only limited to human beings, but also the whole planet, it just feels if I can support with my work a little bit in, in healing, healing this system that we're all living in, healing this planet, healing all the relations, basically. In a sh shamanic approach, the relations are also what we pray to, right? In, in all the organisms and beings that we are, that is what, what really motivates me to just be of service Dr. Wayne Dyer often said late in his later years, just how may I serve? If we ask ourselves this question, mm. then that is because we don't, we can't take anything, anything with us when we die. So when we leave this physical experience, he said, we're not taking anything with us. So the only thing we can do with our lives is to give it away, is to serve others. And so I really resonate with, with that perspective. Mm, thank you for that. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your specific lineage that you practice? When you talk about shamanic journeying, is this something that involves plant medicine or drumming? Or can, is, are there any kinds of things that you can share with us about what that sort of practice is like? Yeah, so the first thing you mentioned, the lineage is pretty much coming from the Lakota tribe from the Great Plains or in the Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming area. So that is where it's from. My, my mentor and teacher is a German woman, but she learned from natives and she's passing on that knowledge to us in our circle here in Germany. And it is a drumming-based shamanic journey. You mentioned that in the Southern American lineage there's often rattling more so than drumming so so i i've experienced both and i really appreciate both but i mostly drum and sing sometimes or chant and it is non-plant based or plant medicine based so i know that there is a really great interest about these plant-based medicines even like it, it almost feels like a little boom right now mm -hmm. But we are journeying with the drum. The drum is the canoe to non-ordinary reality or to this other reality that we journey to. And that is my approach. Wow. So through this, journey, through this drumming, is it a sense of entering, like a, uh, the feel that I get is like entering a stream or entering like a flow with the drumming and then is it dependent on the people that you're with too or do you do this on your own or I'm just trying to get a sense of what I guess set and setting and uh yeah so can you clarify the last part with do it doing it on my own or with the people is it with in a ceremony type of setting with other people and then that's part of it too is the combined energy and consciousness of a group or is it something that you do on your own or both? Yeah, so I do journey by my by myself sometimes if I have some homework or if I have something that comes up that is not necessarily uh, that I don't bring to my supervision, to my circle. 
And it is also, it can be done in a group setting. I mostly work in one-on-ones with my clients, but I have webinars where, or group settings where it's people. And you probably know that the energy of every person who is present is um, creating, co-creating the space. So it is always a little different, probably. I see that in, in a similar way to the music that I play as a DJ, even though my set that I played was always from the same source material, the way how I played it and how it came out and how it built up and everything is different with every place where I played because the energy of the people is different. So that is pretty much the case here also. So depending on who is showing up in this circle, they are bringing their own stories, their own energy. They are, in a way, coming with questions and answers that everyone in this circle has. And that's that synergetic space that we are in when we work in circles that maybe someone brings forth an issue or an intention and somebody else might not be aware of. And some weeks further down the line, they are in a similar situation and having been witness to that process and to the journey that the person talked about in the circle, they have some kind of guidance that they wouldn't have had if they weren't in the circle before. So I think that is one of the really interesting aspects of this work that once we enter this sacred space, that time is really becoming even more relative than it is already in our lives. Mm, Yeah, that's wonderful. And so inducing this shamanic state with your clients is primarily, the primary method is with the drum? Yeah. Okay. And then are they able, is it, does it induce like a trance-like state, would you say? I would say it's easiest described if we say it's like a sleep, a kind of a dream not sleep because we don't necessarily have to be aware or dreaming in our sleep, but like a dream in which we are still to a certain degree connected or aware of our body. Sometimes in a journey, I completely lose track of my body. I don't know that I'm lying there, but we have an added component of awareness, consciousness, and even control, if you want to say that. So one, one part that I feel people feel drawn to the work that I do in comparison to the medicine journeys is that added element of I can exit whenever I need. They don't ever do that, but they know that they could if they wanted to. If I induce some kind of ayahuasca or maybe peyote, I know that until this kind of flushes out of my system, I am out of control, right? And so this element of a little bit, I'm a little bit more in charge than I would be. And I am more, much more aware than in dreaming, but the images are similar that come to me. And the kind of reality is also similar to dreaming where we can breathe underwater, we can talk to animals, we can listen to what a stone is telling me, or maybe I'm having a meeting with a deity or someone, some ascended master, whoever that is, so that that is possible. So it's more aligned with dream, but we're more aware than we would be. Mm. And then is it 
Does it take some time to build up to where you actually do journey? Does it take some sessions to be able to get clients into that state? Or is it pretty, I mean, like for, if we go back to the ayahuasca discussion, it's like you take ayahuasca, you're pretty sure going to have a, an experience then, you know, at that, mm -hmm. even if it's your first time. What is it like with these types of journeys? Does it take a little bit of training to be able to get to the experience? I think it is probably a very high number of people who are intuitively finding their way into it. So it's probably a really small amount of people who are very tight in the sense and maybe afraid that it might not work or with high expectations, some kind of really constricted way of approaching this, but it's really, really rare. really like in their minds? Yeah, So, it, yeah. but it's really in, in having guided so many people through my approach, and that's the only experience that I can say. I know that I sometimes get stuck when I'm in, in my class, when I'm a participant in that, it's not a, a guarantee the longer we do it, the smoother it goes because the journey always mirrors us what is what needs to be seen, acknowledged, and wants to be transcended, if you will, or integrated. So it wouldn't be fair to say the more you do it, the easier it gets or the more intense it gets. It is just like an up and down and depending on my personal connection to myself mm. and how well I'm able to let go and really surrender to this process. Yeah, that makes sense. What role does the breath play? Do you have breath practices as part of this too? In a way, it, but it's really simple. It's just keep on breathing. Feel, breathe, feel what comes up. If there's some stuckness or if we, if we talk about this, I'm lying there and it's just black. I'm not journeying to anything then it's resistance and knowing that it's resistance and that we can work with resistance by just breathing, observing, seeing how we feel. Maybe the body, there is some energetical change in the body. Maybe there are some energy spots that open up where I can breathe into. So that kind of breath work I do and I support and tell and always remember in a sense, but it's not a special technique. It's just remembering, keep on breathing, feel the emotion if there's an emotion that comes up and being aware of the breath as a medium for centering and just transformation. Mm, beautiful. So if there are people who are listening and they're like, I want to have a shamanic journey. Now you're in Germany right now. Yeah. And you spend time in Hawaii and Norway. Do you have any tips for people who are not in those places of how they, I don't know if you do these online or if you know how people could find like a trusted guide to be able to experience some of what you're talking about? I would say first and foremost, intuition, just trying things out. Whenever I was traveling and I was out of Germany away from my circle, I was just using the internet, just looking for shamanic journeys or shamanic practices, whatever that is. And so I was 
looking for places where I could physically go. That was before we had the great pandemic in the sense of that people opened up to Zoom and online meetings much more afterwards. So the offer now is different than it was when I started. So I do it also digitally. And so I aligned myself in my practice because of these time zones that you mentioned that my free webinar series would start in Hawaii at 8 a.m. in the morning, but it's also possible to join here in Europe 8 p.m. in the evening. And it would even be possible to join maybe in in Russia or one time zone further east. So it is possible to participate. And if we don't know where to start to just really hold that intention, I would really like to experience it. And if it's important to experience it live in a circle with people, then to just hold that intention and be be trusting in the process that I can either Google it or maybe somebody tells me of it, or maybe you hear the podcast here, you talk to someone and you say, I heard this podcast about shamanic journeys and maybe there is an input. So to just trust in the process that if I'm really interested in this kind of work, it will find its way to me. Thank you for that. Do you have any sort of, beyond the intuition, just I feel that shamanism is a term that is used a lot these days and there's not necessarily like always, it, it might not always be easy to know, is, mm-hmm. the, is it a trusted mm-hmm. person? Is there anything mm-hmm. that through your experience that you would say like just some watch outs or some things to be aware of so that people have, like if they're not in yeah. this world at yeah. all yet, it's like, yeah. well, how do I know if I should trust Absolutely. And I totally, I think that question is really a good one. It's just almost, it feels to me like a tightrope walk Mm. that my experience is just my experience. And I would feel repelled by certain things that other people might find beneficial. Or maybe there's an experience waiting for them that it's not necessarily positive, but it is something that is important to be had. But what I usually would look out for is the borderland between the esoteric realm where somebody is healing me, where they take on that authority of, I am the great guru, I am the shaman, and I will take away your negative energies. I will release that. So as soon as I get the feeling that someone is... Uh, putting themselves in a certain elevated place in terms of me, then I would feel like maybe that's not the right person for me. Mm -hmm. I know that there's great people who work energetically who do that kind of work. It's just, I feel it's, there needs to be some more trust in that. And I need to know a little bit more about that because it's just, like you said, it is a big question mark. How is that person working? And other than that, I would just really look for someone who feels authentic to me, you know, just like someone who walks the walk and talks the talk. And I've been always really intuitive in terms of that. So I, but I am also equipped with a kind of a radar where I, a bullshit detector, I fell into some situations that weren't really good. And I learned about that afterwards. But oftentimes I feel like I can discern quite 
easily if this is something that is authentic or if that is something where there is a little bit of shady business involved. So yeah, that's you've said some really great things here and they've triggered within me remembrances where you know I were hindsight mm -hmm. hindsight of course is 2020 and yeah. you know I have fallen under the spell of some people where you know it ultimately like oh that was uh you know false like whatever they were doing that was not for my highest good that was for their good you know like they and they were taking advantage of things and but looking back it's like there were times where it was not easy for me to enter meaning like they'd have some program and I would try to register for it or pay for it and I couldn't I couldn't like it kept failing yeah. it kept and I was like doing everything I could to reconcile that where I was like contacting their administrator doing like oh the payment didn't go through it's not charging it's failing when I get to the screen and banging my head against the wall to try to give my money to these people yeah because I thought that they were doing great things and then realized later, oh, no, they're completely vampires and they're taking everybody's money and energy and so on. But it's funny to look back and be like, the universe was trying to help me like several times. It was trying to cut off <laughs> like, yeah. to be like, no, don't do it. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, why is this so hard? Why is it so difficult? But continuing to just heck away at it. I'll make it work, you know? And so it's just funny because you talk about like, you have this radar, you have the intuition. And maybe if somebody is feeling like they don't have that developed as, as well yet, pay attention to everything that's happening where it's, are you, do you feel like you're getting blocked? Is it difficult for you to move forward with this? Let's say you find a shaman, you want to go on a journey with them. And then you're like, for one reason or another, scheduling conflicts are coming up or you're unable to successfully pay or whatever it is that may feel like it's out of your control. Maybe have fresh eyes about what might be trying to happen where it's not necessarily that you're getting an intuitive hit, but something on the physical realm is happening that's trying to cut it off. Absolutely. Know? And I love that you say that because of these experiences, I developed a two-strike rule for myself where I say, if something isn't working twice, if I don't pay attention, and it is also if some if I'm not observant in the traffic with a car, and I didn't look, and I entered a, an intersection, and there was almost a car hitting me or something, that usually happened twice. And if I still didn't pay any attention with the third time, something happened where the consequence was less appreciated by me. So. Mm -hmm. Those really help me, but I know that it's a rule that I made up for myself, like a play rule. And so maybe that is something, as you mentioned, if I'm trying to pay with a credit card and it's not working the first time, then I do it. I'm Then I'm already cautious, like now. Yeah. But then I try a second time. And if it's not working, then I just let it go. I'm not saying I won't ever try again because there have been instances where I just let it go and it came back and then I tried it and it went well and everything was fine. But just if something doesn't work twice, I usually step back and say, all right, what's the message here? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. So can you talk to us a little bit about totem animals? I know that this is another part of 
your, I don't know if we should say practice or expertise or whatever, but I'm a big animal lover and I really notice, I'm a beekeeper also, and I really notice like when animals show up in my dreams or mm. in real life, but I would love to know more about what, how animals are communicating to us. Yeah. So that I, you, there, this, I don't know. <laughs> So I've, lost my, <laughs> I've lost my speech here because once we start working with animals, either in the spiritual realm or in the physical realm, it's just, it's really magical what they teach us. And I think that is what my definition of shamanism really comes down to reestablishing a connection with nature, animals, plants, everything rocks like the whole planet is alive the earth is just one big organism and really learning to be with and learn from each other the other day on saturday i woke up and i had a, had a big bee just like a bumblebee sized honeybee in my socks and i didn't notice and it didn't sting me but it bit me and so i had this interaction with the bee and because i love bees you can probably relate to that I just rushed outside, got some honey, fed it because it was really cold, fed it some honey, and then I got a warm plate, set it on the warm plate so it could heat up, and then it flew away. But that interaction to me was just so really enriching because it is that bees, and for me, bees have something, have this guardianship over the, the flowers and the fruits, and they are really this important species that I feel whenever I, I meet or encounter an, a bee in that way that I can support it, that is really, it's almost ridiculous. I feel like this is this small insect and I'm freaking out over this. Other people just really would say, have you lost your mind? But what I want to say is that through the establishing a connection with animals and learning from animals and being more of guardians on this earth rather than exploiters, to be honest, then we enter a space where life really becomes magical, like where we telepathically speak with animals or with plants and we hear, we hear needs. In, in the shamanic journeys that I do, the lead questions that I give my clients usually are, is there something you have for me and is there something you need from me? And if we interact with animals, either physically or in our shamanic journeys, they always have something to share. And there's always this interaction of like help towards each other, right? This collaboration. And I think that is what I take away from animals and going back to your question about totem animals a totem animal is our potential showing up in animal form and so one journey that is really and it's interesting that this journey is so, so gathering so much interest in people they always want to know how do i do that totem animal journey how can i meet my totem animals so from everything I hear in podcasts and conversations, clients, the totem animal is just like what everybody is really curious about. So I find that really interesting that we're all so interested in that because we want to know about ourselves, right? We want to understand 
who am I? And the totem animal is like a mirror that helps us understand that and to come more and more into our potential to see what does this animal need and where does it live? What is this environment? What are maybe food sources or enemies and how does it sleep? How does it mate? How is it hunting? And all of these things can give us an insight into creating a life where we set the the environment or the parameters in a way where we are able to recall or use that potential in a more flowing, uh, yeah, just more aligned way, maybe. Mm. So is the totem animal, is there like one primary animal that's in our energy fields throughout our life, throughout our soul's existence, or do they come in and out as circumstances are needed or dictate? Yeah, I don't have any real experience with if a totem animal is soul bound. Mm -hmm. So I have not, I mean... I have some, I've done some past life journey, like regression journeys where I was in Africa, which would make a lot of sense because my totem animal is a black leopard. So mm. it might be, but it is basically an animal that accompanies us our whole lives. It's because I said it's our potential showing up in animal form. There are other ally animals or supporting animals that come and go like more depending on the situation or circumstance that we're in. I had a gorilla for a while when I was studying for a couple of years and I was really convinced that it was my totem animal. At some point, I realized this gorilla was just an animal helping me to go through these, this, the hardships of this university phase. And once it was over, it relatively quickly after really said its goodbye. It's still a part of me, but it's not as... Uh, continuous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I, a couple months ago, had a dream specifically with a peregrine, which is a type of bird. But I didn't really, I mean, I, I knew enough to know that it was a bird, but I was, it's like a peregrine hawk, I think is what it's called. But in my dream, I was like, oh, it's a peregrine. <laughs> and I was like, and I woke up, I was like, how did I know? Mm-hmm. Like, where did that come from? But it's just funny how these things come in and they can be so specific like that. Not just a bird, but a peregrine hawk, you know? Yeah. But it's just, it, I find it really fascinating. And the other night I had a dream too where there was like an otherworldly animal like a mammal that was really furry and small and like gray but it was like not an animal that we have here on earth but (laughs) I was like walking through a forest and it was down by my feet and I knew enough that I knew it was wild and it wasn't like a pet or anything but it was really close to me and so it's just the in that same dream I also saw a lot of like cattle and livestock and horses and they were working so hard like they and being separated from their moms. And I mean, it was just like there was so it was so difficult for them. And they were like doing a lot of manual labor of trying to pull something out of the mud like 
by their teeth with ropes and things like that. It was just very, it was a very animal focused stream. And now that we're mm-hmm. talking about animals, I'm like, whoo, it's all coming back now. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing how they show up. And I suppose the messages or the feelings that they're able to induce within us can be really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I would love to talk a little bit about circular economies, because I know you're putting a lot of work into this. What is your vision of the future in terms of circular economies? So I I believe that my utopian dream for the future is that the word circular economy is just almost redundant, right? Where just we are value and benefit driven. So even if we have a business, then it is, we are seeing that as a responsibility if we look at maybe profits or so to step away, firstly, to step away from the need to accumulate that kind of really I need to have more and more, that this is something that we will realize is very destructive, right? So, and when that falls away, we really don't need so much. And that is what I realized over the years when my basic needs are met, when I have food and when I have a community in which I feel safe and seen and where I am loved and can love. And when I have a place to sleep, then I don't need that much, right? And so to use all that surplus that we generate in a business to go either back to the environment or to social projects, because like I feel like even if we all started integrating circular economy right now, we would have a couple of decades probably where we could invest a lot of money in order to regenerate the earth and to regenerate society and to do these things. So I feel like where it's more of a guardianship of wealth, it is not the wealthy have the, how do we say that, privilege to spend it as they wish, but to really see that wealth is a responsibility to really make sure that everyone in the tribe, if we stay local, everyone in this tribe has has enough, right? And to be really, I listened to, I listened to a really interesting book the other day, and it was about the story of Crazy Horse, a really famous in the Western sense, famous indigenous Lakota who was most well known for his resistance to the United States and to that closing in of the of the things that happened in the mid 1800s. And so he was really that guardian who looked after his whole tribe and he was like looking, giving, passing on things that he found or acquired. And just that is the aspect that I feel like is really important in circular economy, where we start looking at our surrounding and knowing that by creating wealth in the totality, we gain much more than by hoarding it for ourselves. And I hope that is a sufficient answer for you. I know we could deep dive into the mechanics and the theory of circular economy much more, but that is what I believe is important to 
generate some kind of income or some kind of business and to redistribute it into different areas, me being one part of it. So my needs are being met, but also making sure that I can redistribute it to my surroundings, to all the communities and environment that, that I'm placed in or set in. I love that. And this is more from like an individual or business ownership perspective rather than a governmental, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah, I think it's autonomous probably. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Because I know that we see this in some governments and it's it, the tendency can be to think, oh, okay, this is something that the government would do. But it's, well, no, it's this is like at an individual level, like not expecting like some sort of big brother to do it for us, but rather there's intentionality with it and there's a responsibility, like an individual responsibility part that yeah. is not like a somebody do it on my behalf type of thing. Yeah, and that's why I said it's utopian because probably if we think it all the way through, it is a very anarchic or non-government structure because as soon as we empower ourselves and we say, well, we are making the decisions and we're looking out for each other, we don't need an external organ to do that for us. So I feel like that falls away probably in that utopian version, but there's probably also a hybrid possible where the government supports certain things and is making sure that it's going well, but mostly it's probably an in initiative coming from the people as we see at the moment. There, It is a grassroots movement coming from the people. Yeah, I love that. I love that empowerment piece, and I think that's such an important aspect of it. And yeah, thank you for that. So Martin, it's just been absolutely delightful to talk to you. Can you tell us how people can connect with you and learn more about you? Yes, I have a website that is lighttrails.co, and that is where everything comes together. I'm a little bit of a shy person when it comes to social media, not shy necessarily in front of the camera. I'm also not using social media as a passive user, so my website is probably the best place to reach me. If you find an account, a social media account, I make sure that I reply or give you attention as soon as I see it. I just don't know when that will be. So my website is the quickest way. Okay, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your insight today, Martin. It's been a joy to connect with you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to ask you for one quick favor, and that's to share this episode with one person who you think will benefit from it. Let them know you're thinking about them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.